Grace to you and peace and good morning and welcome to Eastern Mennonite Seminary Chapel Worship. I invite you to uh, join me uh, by standing uh, either in body or spirit and we will join together in a call to worship that will be shown on the screens. Now thanks to Christ Jesus, you who were once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ removed the requirements of the law so as to create one new person out of two groups, making peace. Upon arriving, Christ announced the good news of peace to those who were far away from God and to those who were near. Our hymn is 10,000 Reasons, found either in Voices Together on 111 or on the screens.
This morning we uh, have uh, delivering uh, the message and uh, reading the scripture for us today, a seminary student, Carmen Shank. Um, and I believe this is in partial fulfillment of your requirements for your preaching course that you're currently enrolled. Um, it's been a blessing uh, this semester to uh, hear the fruits of our students' labor as they uh, work through that important course in their course of study. Carmen? Good morning, classmates. Good morning, professors. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear falsely. The word of God for the people of God. Long ago and far away, I was a kid in my 20s trying to find my way in an ultra-Orthodox, semi-Mennonite, prophetic, charismatic congregation. Boy, that was a mouthful. Wasn't so sure if women were allowed to do, well, a lot of things. And someone gave me a cassette tape, that'll tell you how long ago that was, a cassette tape about the role of women in the kingdom of God. And I played that thing on a loop in my car as I did my errands, often with the tears running down my face. Was it possible that women were not second-class citizens with God? Look, I grew up in the church. I knew the drill. I, I knew the limits of what I could and could not do. I learned to ask permission. Unfortunately, the gentleman speaking on that tape didn't really quote scriptures, and so I didn't know whether or not I could believe him. One thing I did know, I had never heard anyone speak so eloquently that women had a contribution to make in the community of faith, and it moved me. And about the same time, I was considering becoming an architect, and I was taking some classes and designing some buildings for class assignments, and it came super easy to me to geek out over the temple and the tabernacle, Solomon's temple, Herod's temple, all of it. I studied and looked up diagrams and even counted stair steps. I mean, I was enjoying nerding out over this stuff. My study of Bezalel, my favorite biblical character as an artist, and my search for meaning as a female follower of God in a seen and not heard context. Well, there started to be some overlap. Now today I'm talking to people who may also enjoy geeking out over the text a little bit. Maybe, maybe you've completed a, those assignments about the temple, just like I have, and I'm not here to tell you something you don't already know. I'm here to tell you what it has meant to me and how I came to the conclusion that I am a woman of the cloth. See, I'm a weaver, and over the years I've worked on my genealogy, I've found a number of my lines back to the Anabaptists of Switzerland and Germany, and in that process I discovered that I have a couple of Mennonite weavers in my heritage, and so it feels a little uncomfortable to confess this, but I'm in it mainly for the yarn. <laughs> Not so much for the cloth, but collecting yarn and dyeing yarn. This is my happy place. It's all about the color for me, as maybe you can surmised by looking at me, but I'm drawn in by the cloth that we discover in Exodus 35, 35. He has filled them, meaning Bezalel and Oholiab, 
with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine lemon, linen, and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers. These craftsmen would go on to weave the cloth that would, that would hang in front of the most holy place in the tabernacle, separating it from the holy place in the sanctuary of God. And then I'm also fascinated by Isaiah 6.1 where it mentions that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So I'm feeling that as in a vast expanse of glorious cloth. How decadent. But more than the luxury of it, for every uncovered and soul touched by shame, here in the presence of God is a place where you are covered and where I am covered, not with sackcloth and ashes, as we are so ready to assume that our shame deserves, but with gorgeous royal cloth. I feel that in the presence of God, there is covering for us all. Now my pastor is here and he's, he doesn't know I'm about to crack this joke, so he preached a sermon called Naked and Unashamed. And so on the, on the sign in front of the building, Pastor Claire, naked and unashamed. You would think that would make the crowd swell on a Sunday morning, but it didn't really work that way, did it? <laughs> well, what does it mean to be a woman of the cloth, a person of the cloth? Now, I'm not gonna give you the whole etymology of those words, though of course that's fascinating stuff. I'm here to talk about what it means to me to be a woman of the cloth. I can tell you that visiting the temple means climbing the hill because the temple is at the top. I'm telling you things you already know. You can remind you that there was the Gentile court and then there was a fence to keep out the Gentile on pain of death. I can remind you that if you walked into the gate called Beautiful and straight up the hill toward the Holy of Holies, you would pass through the women's court. Now, it didn't just belong to the women. The men were allowed there too. It just meant that the women couldn't go further up the hill. They had to stop there. Within the women's court, there was also the leper's court where lepers could be seen by the priest to bathe and hopefully to be restored to the community. And then we move up the stairs through the Nicanor Gate into the Israelites' courtyard, an area for the men and boys. But to move closer to the presence of God, you needed to be of that priestly class to do the work of the temple, and there was a lot of work there. It was noisy, smoky, and must have had some grisly aspects as the sacrifice played out. Up 12 steps to the holy place, there was the lampstand on the left, the table of bread on the right, and an altar of incense in front of that curtain. And the priest entered the holy place on a schedule to keep the lamps burning and the incense burning and the bread fresh. And up more steps, there was the holy place where the high priest could enter on a specific day each year. There were a lot of steps up that mountain, each level taking you higher. There were walls. There were places you just couldn't go unless you were Jewish, healthy, male, and of the priestly tribe. There was quite literally hierarchy. So who may ascend the hill of the Lord? The few. It was a system in which people or groups of people were ranked one above the other, some with more status, some with more authority. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? If you were a Gentile in any of these areas, you were illegal, and it would cost you your life if you were caught. How many of us here are Gentiles? 
we would be the illegals. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? What can we learn about hierarchy from Jesus? What would God possibly have in mind by separating us out and ranking people by aspects of themselves determined entirely by the accident of birth? What was God thinking here? Well, let's look at those separations, and and maybe Jesus can shine some light on those. How did Jesus behave toward men? Well, he chose 12 of them as his confidants and travel companions, and they're a pretty interesting group of guys. Acts 4.13 calls them unschooled, ordinary men. Cool. How did Jesus behave toward women? Well, here's where it starts to get kind of fun. My colleague in preaching class, Dave Mansfeld, mentioned that Jesus had to send off his 12 disciples in order to have a conversation with the woman at the well. Dave thinks that they may have had a little too much disapproval and disdain in their eyes for that conversation to happen. But Jesus sent them to the grocery for snacks, and then that way he got to have this amazing theological conversation with the woman. Jesus sent her as the first preacher into her own community among people who knew how many husbands she'd had. And Jesus and his disciples ended up staying with him for two days. John 4, 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. The woman's testimony. That involves speaking, doesn't it? She was chosen as the first sent one, a female sent to preach to her community, a woman whose name we are not even told. How did Jesus behave towards lepers? Matthew 8, 1 through 4 in the message. A leper appeared and dropped to his knees before Jesus, praying, Master, if you want to, you can heal my body. And Jesus reached out and touched him, saying, I want to. Be clean. Then and there, all the signs of the leprosy were gone. Jesus said, don't talk about this all over town. Just quietly present your healed body to the priest, along with the appropriate expressions of thanks to God. You're cleansed and grateful life, not your words, will bear witness to what I have done. How did Jesus behave towards Gentiles, us Gentile outsiders? Matthew 15, 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Now, if I had to interpret the Greek in this particular situation, it's probably something along the lines of, would you please get rid of her? She's on my last nerve. (laughs) Maybe there's room for a different interpretation, though. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Boldly, I might add. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed in that moment. How about another Gentile? How about a Roman? Matthew 8, 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said to the centurion, 
and verse 13, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And a servant was healed in that moment. Jesus healed the servant of the Roman oppressor and commended his faith. Somehow he saw past a label that it would be hard for a Jewish man to see past. But that seems like a pattern with Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus went out of his way to connect with the ones at the bottom of that social and religious hierarchy. The psalmist asks, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? And over and over again, Jesus is hanging out with the people who could not ascend that mountain. It kind of seems like the temple was designed to keep people out in a way, but is that what God wants? Is Jesus the rebellious son who sees things and people differently from his distant and disapproving father? But John 5, 19 reminds us, truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. So this work of Jesus hanging out with the lowly folks, that's what he saw his father doing. And then Jesus died and the temple, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. The curtain that Solomon had made, the one that was made of blue, purple, and crimson yarn and fine linen, linen the cherubim worked into it, destroyed, tatters on the floor. Hebrews 10:20, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. So the psalmist asks, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? And the author of Hebrews says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Who may ascend? Who may come into the holy place? All of us, from the highest to the lowest. So why was there so much hierarchy, separation, walls, distance, stairs? All this is from the Father who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The Father was reconciling the world to himself through Jesus, committing to us that message of reconciliation. What it means to me to be a woman of the cloth is that all that hierarchy lays in ruins on the floor along with the remains of that gorgeous, torn cloth Jesus showing us who his father is by reaching out to touch people you weren't supposed to touch, to talk to women you weren't supposed to talk to, to welcome that leper back into the community. Are you a Gentile? Are you a woman? Are you a leper? You're welcome here. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in Colossians 3:11 of the message. He chooses a cloth metaphor. You've done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. And now you're dressed in a whole new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, enslaved and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. In the Passion Translation, Galatians 3, 28, 
And we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew, non-Jew, enslaved, free, male or female, because we're all one through the union of Jesus Christ with no distinction between us. Well, religion makes distinctions between us. Jesus, not so much. Religion plays gatekeeper. Jesus, not so much. Religion keeps us paying attention to labels and differences. Jesus, not so much. So who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? The curtain is torn, the walls have fallen, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Hierarchy is in a massive pile of rubble and ruin. Don't hold on to what God has discarded. I will not prop up or defend what God has thrown away. Friend, who are the lepers of the church in 2023? What does it mean to be given the ministry of reconciliation in a world where the divisions go deep and the text is often quoted to support the otherness of these folks? We push the lepers away, people that Jesus reached out and touched. But if you've been on the outside looking in, made to feel like a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God, I'm sorry. Your place is here with us. No matter what kind of leprosy you think separates you from God or from us, welcome. Your place is here. We can clean out that mountain of rubble together later. We are the people Jesus came down the mountain for. And he has given us all the ministry of reconciliation. You matter. Your nationality, gender, other characteristics, not so much. But you, you matter. Immediately following our hymn of reflection, uh, Carmen is gonna lead those of us who are gathered uh, in the chapel this morning in a unity ritual. Uh, invite those who are joining us uh, online um, to, uh, t- you may have trouble seeing or hearing what's going on in the chapel space, so I invite you uh, to continue your reflection on what it means that Christ is breaking down every wall and bringing us together in unity. Our hymn is Nothing Can Separate Us.
If you would join me here in the front, I will give you a piece of ribbon and you can pass it to your friend who comes after you and let's create a circle together connected to the cloth. Our Father is a creator and redeemer in whom nothing is wasted nor forsaken. Jesus Christ is our brother through whom all the ceilings, curtains, gates, and walls that once divided us were forever broken. The Holy Spirit is our mother by whom all peoples may be born anew as sisters and brothers, beloved children and heirs of God. The curtain that once separated us from God has been torn and unraveled. Hold on to this thread as it weaves about our worship service, binding us together as one, regardless of our differences, as we sing and pray. Thank you for participating. Let us pray. From all that is broken, let there be beauty. From what is torn, jagged, ripped, frayed, let there be not just mendings, but meetings unimagined. May the God in whom nothing is wasted gather up every scrap, every shred and shard, and make of them new paths, doorways, worlds. Our sending hymn is Just As I Am. Maybe it's even familiar enough to enough of you that you could sing it without looking at the screens, or maybe you can crook your necks. I think it would be wonderful to sing as we're still bound together by the fabric, just as I am.
go forth from this place in the love of God, in the acceptance of God, in the grace of God, wrapped in the cloth of God. Because none of this is about who we are or are not. All of this is about the amazing grace of who God is for us and through us in a broken and divided world. May God bless you richly as you go, as you study, as you play, as you rest. Amen. Amen. Amen.